Well, welcome everybody. Another episode of the 30 cast. I'm Mike Vorkanoff. That typing and quittering you hear in the background is Jared Diamond typing. Uh, Jared. There's a lot going on today. Why you got you got to stop that during called, the podcast, Jared. You got to stop. It, it's it's called multitasking. Also, I'm researching. It's also called researching that I should have done before we started recording. Well, I know you're bad at your job, but don't let the listeners know you're bad at your job. They already know. All of them already know my relative lack of skills. Okay. I'm sure this won't bother them at all during the entire podcast as they hear that noise over and over. <laughs> okay. So, Jared, listen. Uh, been a while since we did a podcast, and we've got a great guest today, I think. Am I right? I think it's great. A yeah. long time coming. So I've had this in the works for a few weeks, a little longer even. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm glad to have been able to get it going. Got sidetracked a few times. The Knicks had to fire and hire a coach. Baseball season got going, so you got sidetracked. But finally, we and we get... started a Patreon, and we, we started, started a Patreon. Patreon. That's very important. And we're all very thankful for all of you that have uh, signed up, subscribed, contributed. Um, very kind of you. We appreciate it truly and deeply from our hearts. Um, but now, now we can do the podcast we've been waiting to do. Today's guest, Alex, Alex Kantrowitz, BuzzFeed tech reporter. Alex, man, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. I've been a fan of both your work for a long time, so I'm very excited to be here and looking forward to our conversation. I think it should be pretty good. We've, awesome. we've yet to have a tech reporter on to the podcast uh, or the Q&A, so this is breaking new ground for all of us, and we're all going to learn something during this, except for you, who will be the one you know, kind of teaching everything one something. You're, re- you're the real loser here. Yes, I'm going to be learning a lot from this conversation, <laughs> clearly. Uh, so, Alex, I mean, we're, we want to start the same way we start every Q&A. Um, go a little bit back into your uh, background, how you got to the job that you're at now. you mind um, giving us kind of a synopsis of, of what brought you here, your untraditional background? Sure thing, yeah. So I've always loved journalism. I've always loved media, uh, mostly when I was younger from the outside. And I've just been a fan of this stuff. Um, but I never thought I would ever be any good. Um, so I started out my career going into marketing first and then sales. So I bought ads, uh, for New York city's economic development corporation. Uh, and then I ended up selling ad tech for this company called operative. Um, both those jobs didn't really go anywhere for me, but I was writing on the side just kind of as a hobby. And I saw that stuff started moving a little bit. Um, and so one day, well, actually, you know, I would spend a couple of months just riding the subway into operative's office in New York city and saying, okay, today's the day I quit. Um, and then finally, you know, I decided, okay, I'm going to do it. So I walked my boss around the block and, you know, in a very roundabout way said that, well, this is my two weeks notice. Um, so I, I went into freelance from there. Then I was lucky enough to get a job covering the advertising industry for advertising agent magazine based in Midtown. Uh, and then three years ago, BuzzFeed was going to start a tech bureau here in San Francisco. Um, and I wrote them an email that I never met the bureau chief. The email said, I want in. And I sort of explained what I've been doing and where I thought I might fit in. I got on a call with the bureau chief about a month later. Uh, he says, hey, we're looking for someone to cover social media communications, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Slack. And I almost fell off my chair. I was like, that'd be a dream job. And then, uh, you know, a few months later, I was on a plane and I've been here ever since. That is a, it's, a, it's a great story, and it does show, I think, how you know you don't have to necessarily know you want when you're 18 years old to be successful at it. I think there's this perception that if you don't go out of high school knowing this is what you want to do and go to college 
plan to go into journalism, you're kind of behind the eight ball. But clearly, you've shown that that's not the case. Uh, and there's a lot I want to talk to you about, about tech and covering tech. But before that, I have a question about working at BuzzFeed. Um, you know, BuzzFeed News, the news department is obviously very different than some of the other stuff that BuzzFeed does. I'm just curious what it's like covering news at BuzzFeed uh, and sort of how you navigate sort of getting your stuff out there and pe- what do you feel like readers' perceptions are of BuzzFeed and sort of that balance between like the really good news coverage BuzzFeed does with sort of the homepage listicle clickbait kind of thing? Oh, I mean, obviously I have to start off by pushing back against the notion of clickbait. Uh, generally, when people read our stories, they feel pretty good about it. And I think that clickbait is stuff that you think you're getting something. It's, it baits you into clicking and you end up with some garbage. And I don't think uh, BuzzFeed does uh, much of that. I, I would say that um, a good way to think about it is the way that our CEO, Jonah Peretti, has described it in the past, which is that like what we do isn't really so different from what traditional media has done in the, you know, for a long time. And you pick up an, a newspaper, right? You got the news section, you got the sports section, you have the entertainment section, and then you have the cartoons and the crossword puzzles. We have a news section, we have an entertainment section, we have quizzes, and we have fun. So I think that the idea that every publication needs to be, you know, only serious or only fun in this day and age, we're definitely living in a niche media world, but the idea that a publication has to be either or right now or else it's not, you know, being held to the... um, you know, the principles of, you know, the higher journalism principles, uh, I think that's ridiculous. A publication should be able to do, should be able to do both. I think we do both effectively. Uh, I think that our news organization is like an incredibly principled, good place to work. And, uh, you know, this, I think people outside are, are, you know, they realize that and they see that our work for what it is, which is quality, quality journalism uh, that they can read and appreciate. Alex, let me ask you about something that um, Jared kind of alluded to. You know, you didn't go to school for journalism. You didn't go to J school. Uh, neither did I. You know, I figured out late in college that I want to try to make a career. This whole reporting thing. Um, I don't. I didn't take a single journalism class. I took some comms classes that I really did not pay attention to. I don't think I lost anything along the way. Um, and so one of the things I was interested in, and I, and I think it's kind of like has kind of been somewhat of an essential debate about this this field is you know how did you pick up the nuances and like the techniques and, and even the ethics of journalism despite not going to school for it and getting into it late um not that it can't be done obviously but I, i'm just curious how you basically like beca- became an auto didact at this job <laughs> yeah that's a really good question i think there's a few things that that have helped me out um one is that just the assistance of great editors um, for me, especially when I was starting out, there was a trade-off where I, I mean, it was unspoken trade-off, but it basically was, I was going to bust my ass and do whatever I could to get the story. And then my editor would help me package it in a way that made sense for journalism. Hmm. So the first couple times I wrote stories freelance, um, I got the same feedback, which was, um, there's great research in here, good reporting. Um, it's just structured ridiculously. And so I had to learn from my first few uh, freelance editors what a lead was and what a nut graph is. Uh, and it took time for me to figure that out. And in fact, you know, after a couple of those conversations, I decided to sign up for a class at New York University School of Continuing Professional Studies. Um, that was basically Journalism 101. And we sat through a class about the lead and a class about the nut and a class about ethics and a class about news judgment. 
and it was taught by this great guy. His name is Jim Edwards. He runs uh, Business Insiders UK Bureau right now. Um, so very talented. He had come up through daily reporting for smaller newspapers and then larger newspapers. Uh, and then he made his way in. Um, and so that that's uh, that helped me out tremendously. Like I wouldn't be here if I wasn't uh, lucky enough to have been taught by you know so many great editors. And the other thing I'll say, and it might come uh, you know as a surprise to people, but Twitter has been fantastic because what Twitter has done is it's brought out um, a bunch of the reporting and, and journalism process out in the open. Um, you have people like David Farinold, Pulitzer Prize winner, who basically won the prize by tweeting his notebook and explaining how he was going to go about uh, researching these stories. You have all these, you know, from a journalism perspective, it might look like nitpicky and small discussions, but I've followed every single one of the, you know, debates about how a story should be pursued and, you know, people fighting with each other, like 200 replies until they get to an answer or just hate each other or send funny gifs and call it a day. Uh, but by reading the reading Twitter and seeing how the journalism process, you know, has been brought out in the open, uh, I was able to pick up you know, good deal. It's like, it's amazing. For a long time, newsrooms have been these closed, intimidating places. Now they basically, you know, a lot of what they do is out in the open for anyone to see. So, yeah. yeah. I find I find uh, it interesting because, like, you know, I think that journalists, and especially if you check, and God, I know I hate saying this, but like if you check Twitter and people's reactions to stories sometimes, which is obviously one of the worst places for that. So like journalists can be really persnickety about how the job is done and how stories are written. Um, and, and so like I, I was I was wondering, and you alluded to this, like whether the reporting was the hard part or whether the writing and the construction was the harder part for you. Yeah, the reporting, the reporting hasn't been uh, difficult for me. Um I mean, obviously, it's not easy. It's a hard thing to do. But, you know, I'm a New York guy, so I have no problem, like, going up to people and asking them questions and getting into business. <laughs> and so that's been uh, something that's helped me out as, as I've um, done, you know, done reporting and worked in journalism. I kind of feel like a lot of reporters um, feel nervous to reach out to sources or to make you know a thousand different calls and speak to people unless it's like the perfect phone call and as soon as you push that fear away um you're going to end up running into stories and running into amazing discussions that you wouldn't have had otherwise so you know just by diving in head first i knew i couldn't put i knew i couldn't take it easy because i had to you know i was coming in at, at a disadvantage and late um and like you guys mentioned without a journalism uh background so um, I was like, you know, you guys also know, like I've been in your replies on Twitter. Um, I would just like, you know, at reply to any editor, any reporter whose stories I thought were interesting, any source who thought, whose stories I thought were interesting. And, um, and then, you know, the key, I think the key to this business is getting the new information, getting the good information, and then, you know, take a few classes trying to figure out how to structure it and, um, you know, how the, how the rest of the process works can kind of round out there. So I've been lucky that, that that's been the case for me. So you obviously cover these, some of these companies we just talked about Twitter and Facebook and all these other social media companies. Uh, clearly we were already talking about the role that Twitter had on you just like as a journalist learning journalism, but I'm also wondering sort of from your perspective covering it, sort of what the role of these companies are in the business journalism. And we hear so much about getting stories on Facebook and whether stories drive any traffic from Twitter, sort of the role of these social media platforms in the journalism business. What do you sort of see, how do you see sort of the landscape shaping out with sort of these social media companies and where they fit into the business? 
Well, I think that um, no one will argue with the fact that they're incredibly important uh, for the business. Facebook drives a tremendous amount of traffic. Uh, Twitter drives some traffic. It's where, but it's where stories are discussed and picked apart. And if you can't learn anything from Twitter, um, you're not paying attention or you're too salty. Um, there's a tremendous amount to be learned uh, from that platform, and you can also do some good reporting on it. And then Google, of course, I think has overtaken Facebook in terms of um, the way that uh, you know, in terms of directing traffic to publishers' sites. So I think that if you're going to ask, like. Where these publicate, where these big platforms are directing or like pushing journalism towards, it might come as a surprise, but I think it's pushing journalism towards quality work. I mean, Facebook it has imperfect uh, tools to to get it where it wants to go, but where it wants to go is it wants quality news to be uh, surfaced by its uh, newsfeed, and it's doing its best job to cut down on sensationalist stories and fake news. Uh, it's not quite there yet, but at least the intent is there for it to get to, you know, a place where most of the stories are quality, uh, coming from quality news organizations or filled with quality reporting and not a lot of the crap that you see there. So the fact that there's an intentional move on their part to clear out the, the bad stuff is good. Um, Google's very similar. They just released their new Google News app uh, and they have, you know, full coverage, a full coverage section that. Uh, the, the stories there are going to come from a range of different sources, um, and uh, they're they're going to be vetted. So you're not going to just get anyone in there. Now we're still going to have problems with sensationalism uh, and fake news and, and conspiracies, uh, but I think that this past the past couple of years, which have been you know very difficult for the big platforms in terms of the public perception of them, um, you know has been uh, is going to come out with some positive effects, and that's going to mean they're going to be more serious about. Uh, making quality journalism uh, rise to the top. So, what is it like covering these, um, you know, these tech companies? Like, in some ways, they seem kind of uh, reclusive, and um, you know, they're they're obviously like very front facing because that's you know we are their we are their product in a lot of ways, right? But like, you don't hear you hear a lot about how Mark Zuckerberg doesn't like to be, um, you know like talking to the public without millions of PR people vetting it first. And you hear all these things about how they're not very, you know, public friendly. And, and I'm just wondering, like, what have you seen firsthand reporting on them, talking to the key players and executives? Like, how are they as an entity uh, to, to deal with, uh, with media? It's not easy, uh, but it's not impossible. So when I got here three years ago, uh, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't like getting in the door and getting conversations with Mark Zuckerberg right away. Um, it was a, like a lot of work of, um, you know, that involved, you know, me telling the people on their comms teams, like, Hey, like I'm going to be covering these, um, these organizations for a long time. So I'm not going away after six months or a year. And, 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 um, you know, also just like doing quality work. Uh, I feel like that, you know, when these companies feel like they can have somebody, they can talk to somebody who's, uh, whose work is thoughtful. Generally, they're more open to to talking than not. Um, and then I think also, uh, look, I come from an advertising background. Facebook, Google, Twitter, Snapchat, you name it. These are all advertising companies with just different ways to reach the public on the front. So, you know, knowing the business uh, has made it easier uh, to really get in and, and do meaningful stories there. That said, um, I think that it's, it's fairly apparent that all these companies have been way too closed uh, for a long time and they're, they've, they haven't let the press in, uh, enough. Um, and that's, 
you know, in some ways let them exist in these bubbles um, that has uh, cut them off from, you know, thinking critically about some of their major problems. And that's why these problems are hitting them by surprise. I'm not saying the media would have solved all the problems, but like taking the criticism that's emerged, um, you know, earlier, taking it to heart and having people in for discussions, with their, which they're starting to do now, and they're starting to realize it's productive for them, um, that would have helped a lot. Like I wrote a story about fake news in May 2016, talking about how Facebook had pledged to shut it down and it was still, uh, still pretty much rampant on the platform. So I'm hoping that this whole stage of um, a moment where these platforms are really facing the music from the public, uh, from the press, from Congress, is going to lead to a more open uh, group of companies. And so far, the signals point to them, you know, being a little bit more talkative. I mean, of course, you, you can always speak with, um, you know, people who aren't going to go through the front door. Um, and that's happening more now, too. So I think uh, it's about it's a compromise. You're not going to always get everything you want from the media uh, when you speak with them. Uh, but overall, uh, have the more Facebook talks, uh, the more Google talks, the more Twitter talks, the better for them, the better it is for the press for sure, and the better it is for the public. Like uh, Mark Zuckerberg held a conference call uh, with us, uh, with the media ahead of his uh, testimony in, in DC. And I let off with my, my call saying, Hey, this is good. You know, we should do this every month. And, <laughs> you know, I, some people were laughing at that on Twitter, but I really mean it. The more that they talk, the better. Well, I, I mean, what's your experience with Zuckerberg been covering him? It's been pretty interesting. So it took me, uh, it took me, it was probably about two years, uh, reporting on Facebook before, I, you know, he was open to have, having me come in and ask him some questions. Um, and, and my observation uh, of him, you know, might be surprising to some of the listeners out there, which is that uh, he is like a much more open and human and um, well-intentioned person than a lot of the media reports make him out to be. And I think maybe he's, he has his public portrayal in part because he is media shy. Uh, but when you get in to speak with the guy, you can tell that like he's not he's he sticks to talking points less than a lot of people inside Facebook do. Um, so that was surprising to me. Uh, he's, he's pretty human, uh, as a person. And, you know, the story that I think is interesting is he asks for feedback, uh, which surprised me. Like we went in to talk about his manifesto, uh, a couple, like a year and a half ago, which was the 6,000 word document about, um, what the future of Facebook would look like and how Facebook should use its power. And, you know, I've interviewed some big CEOs in the past and basically the typical briefing is, you come in, they tell you what you think, what they think, you know, they tell you why you should love it, and then they send you out. And Zuckerberg actually said, okay, well, what did you think? And, you know, what do you think this letter um, is missing? And, and that was a, a surprise, pretty surprising to me, actually, that, you know, he'd be open to that. I think that he doesn't operate in this, like, reality distortion field world that Steve Jobs used to, to operate in, um, which, you know, I think is, is probably a good thing. Do you find like that the more, um, I guess, the more open one, one of these tech companies is with the media, um, it's it kind of correlates with how transparent they are uh, at large, just with the public and what they're doing, especially now when they're all kind of getting, um, you know, lambasted at every turn? Yeah, I think the two are correlated. Um, you know, it doesn't do them any good if they're going to speak to the media and lie to us. Or, you know, toss us, you know, these, uh, I guess, things that aren't true or exaggerated or just talk around the actual hard problems. 
Um, some companies more than others, uh, you know, are, are open and willing, willing to chat about what's going on inside them. And I don't think we're anywhere close to the point um, of transparency that we need to be with all these companies. Uh, but maybe we'll get there. Like the thing that's amazing is Facebook, Google, um, and even Twitter to some of us feel like these entrenched forces in our lives that have always been there and will always stay there. And they're all very young companies. Facebook is what, 15 years old. So I think that um, we're, it, it was similar when, when I report on ad tech, ad tech was filled with all this fraud and um, poorly sold inventory to advertisers who couldn't be sure that they had uh, anything uh, that they like, they couldn't be sure that what they were buying was anything close to, you know, what they were actually getting. And it's an, it's a young industry. And I think social media, especially the tech, especially the young industries, um, we haven't had phones in our hands the way that we do now. Um, and so over time, you know, I think that there's, there's going to find uh, routes to be more transparent and, and better about the things they do. And the natural reaction, like if you don't speak to the media a lot or if you are just starting out, the natural reaction is to kind of clam up and see how long you can get away with not saying much. But I think they're starting to realize that there are such important forces in the lives of everybody that uses them um, that staying quiet isn't an option. I'm, uh, I'm curious, uh, your career at BuzzFeed so far, is there a story that you particularly are proud of like what what's your favorite thing that you've written and why uh that's a good question i mean I, let's see I, I think that there's there's a there's a few that that i think i'll tell you one that was the hardest for me to report um so generally the fact that we got it done you know makes me kind of happy but um facebook has this ban against uh buying firearms on the platform uh from private sellers and so we found out after the, um, the shooting in Dallas where somebody uh, killed, uh, I think, five police officers that he had bought one of the guns, not the ones used on, on, in the shooting, uh, but he, bought, he had bought a gun from a private seller on, on Facebook. And so we got into a room and we're trying to figure out how to you know, tell this story or how to like, advance the story. And, you know, I mean, if it happened a couple of years ago, that was one thing. I was curious whether it was still happening. So we uh, said, okay, let's see if we can find somebody who will sell us a gun using a Facebook group um, or you, and a private deal on Facebook. So I joined a bunch of groups. Um, I saw an AR-15 for sale a couple hours south of San Francisco. Uh, drove down to meet the guy. So I told the guy I was going to buy it. We, we hammered out a deal on Facebook Messenger. Um, I told him that I was going to, you know, interested in buying the gun. Met him, signed, and he signed it over to me. I handed over the money, and. Uh, and we were able to write the story talking about how firearm sales, private firearm sales were still, you know, fairly simple to pull off on Facebook despite the ban. Like these companies, they're like governments, right? They have laws and then they have enforcement. So I think it's always interesting kind of trying to tease out the line between is this a law that's being enforced or is this a law that's not really being enforced? And so that was one of the opportunities to do it. Do you find that like you're now um, covering, uh, I guess, as much tech companies as you are like us public policy in a way, just because the two overlap so much now. Yeah. It's been an amazing shift. Uh, I like, this is not like totally lined up chronologically, but what it feels like is in 2015, um, we were covering the dancing hot dog and <laughs> in 2018 we're in, you know, Congress multiple times. Uh, now the dancing hot dog was actually a little bit later than that, but that's what it feels like. 
And when I came in, there was this slew of product news and, you know, it was all about the plot, the social platforms battling for, you know, supremacy and whether, which was going to be the messaging app that wins out and are they going to be able to ingest commerce and do shopping inside Twitter and Facebook? And then things shifted in a, in a big way. Uh, and I've been to DC three times in the past eight months, uh, having not been there once for a story before in my entire life. Um, so it's just very, it's been a very, very interesting shift. Um, and again, I, I think that overall this is going to be good for everybody, you know, having these platforms, even if there's no legislation, it doesn't seem like there's going to be legislation or delete Facebook movement or wall street tanking the stock or you, or, um, I don't know, any, any number of potential outcomes, like strong outcomes that could result in terms of accountability for these platforms. But uh, the fact that they're having to really reckon with their vulnerabilities in a way that they can't just brush off uh, like they had done in the past is good. Um, and, and it's building me up for uh, frequent flyer miles between San Francisco and D.C. So well, uh, it's been interesting. I mean, look, that that's key, first of all. Like, you have to make sure you get your frequent flyer miles. This is why that's we all right. go into this industry. That. Sports writers. <laughs> <laughs> Marriott points and frequent flyer miles are, are like the uh, the bedrock of sports writing. Um, the, the one thing I was wondering about, and I, I was curious whether like this happens in tech reporting too, is, you know, in sports writing, um, every sport kind of has like, essentially it's designated newsbreaker in some ways, like, you know, basketball has Adrian Wojnarowski, uh, baseball has Ken Rosenthal and Jeff Passan, uh, football has Schefter and Glazer where, you know, <laughs> whether like they're, you know, they're obviously really good at their jobs. By now, a lot of the information is funneled to the top and, and dispensed from there. And, and, and it kind of like, it, it kind of, um, it colors how other people do their jobs and the type of stories that they write. Um, although everyone is obviously always chasing news. Uh, but because tech writing seems also kind of like, in a way, nascent, uh, just like the companies you cover, like, do you find that the process of reporting is, is similar? Like, do you find that they're, uh, the stories that you write, you know, are, are like colored by like where these companies go to, uh, you know, give scoops or to give exclusives, or do you find it's more, um, you know, kind of meritocratic in tech reporting? Yeah, this might surprise some people, but I think tech reporting is much, is much more of a meritocracy. Um, I think that, uh, reporters, like all my competitors uh, are breaking news all the time. So it's not like, you know, we have like one big story breaks and we say, ah, oh, that must have been a Schefter story. Like we do have, um, it's like fairly even, evenly, not, I wouldn't say evenly divided because there are strong reporters and there are weaker reporters, but scoops come from everywhere. Um, and it might be a function of the fact that, you know, just even taking Facebook, there's so much going on inside Facebook. Um, you have all the different products you have. You actually have the news feed, you have groups, you have Messenger, you have WhatsApp, you have Instagram. Um, then you have the different layers. You have the politics layer, you have the social science layer, um, you have the advertising layer. And so you end up with like, you know, so many different areas to focus on. Uh, and so there would, it, it would almost be impossible for, every, for there to be a dominant, uh, new, I mean, I guess, I don't know. I think that it would be very hard for there be, to be a dominant uh, newsbreaker on this beat. And so far, it doesn't seem like... Um, Facebook or Google uh, or Twitter go to one reporter all the time to, you know, hand off news. It, it does seem like, um, you know, they dot, they dot around when they do it. But, you know, for the, for the big companies, it's been less of them controlling the show and more of the reporters breaking the news that they didn't want recently. So that's been an interesting shift too. 
<laughs> All right. Well, that's really interesting stuff. Hey, before we let you go, I think you have to. We we tend to have sports people on this, so I think we have to ask you about sports, right? You're a long-suffering Mets fan, Knicks fan. Uh, are you ever going to see a championship uh, in your life? <laughs> it's a it's a very good question. Uh, first of all, I'm I'm glad we got to the sports the sports section. Um, let's see, uh, the Mets probably not. Uh, <laughs> I can't. First of all, I can't believe they traded Matt Harvey so early on in the season. Um, I know he's probably not going to bounce back and have a miracle recovery, but I would you know new coach. I would have given him more than a month to to prove himself. Uh, but the rest of the team seems to be falling apart. Uh, also, and you know, for a team that seemed to be recommitted to the health of its players, like having uh, Cespedes out there on a bump quad for who who knows how long until you finally admit you have to put him on the DL is is kind of insane to me. So, I, I think that uh, you know it pains me to say, but the New York time, the New York uh, New York team, uh, better in better position to win another couple World Series uh, is the Yankees. So I'm curious about this because Jared and I, obviously covering you know basketball and baseball, have our own biases. Um, but you, as a reporter who is also a fan of you know the Mets and the Knicks and the Jets, uh, like what do you think of the way that these teams are covered? Right, like you read all of them. You this is where you get your news from as a fan of those teams. Like mm-hmm. as an outsider, but also someone who understands how the industry works. Like, what do you think of the way the Knicks are covered, the Mets are covered, and and just like um, you know the type of stories that are being written about them? Uh, I, I mean, it's, it's really interesting. I think that the coverage is, is pretty good by and large. Uh, I've never, like I read some of the other sports markets, um, news co- sports coverage, and it's not as good as you have in New York. I think people talk about the New York sports market with a little bit of fear um, from the organization standpoint, and I don't think that's unmerited. Like, the New York has a great sports media tradition, and so being able to read, you know, good kind of don't give a shit stories from New York reporters is fantastic because you don't sugarcoat stuff, which is, which is great. Um, and honestly, the teams don't give a lot of stuff to sugarcoat. So (laughs) if it was any other, if it was like, you know, let's say Mike trying to tell us that the Knicks are a functional team heading in a good direction, (laughs) you know, I would start raising my eyebrows. So I think that, uh, you're you're not in the market for positive Knicks stories. (laughs) I mean, you know, we maybe one day. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you were saying. Sorry yeah. to cut you off. I just think you guys do a great job, and and honestly, like the New York media is also so much fun on Twitter. To I mean, I have a, a column on TweetDeck that's just all the New York sports writers, and I probably pay attention to that, you know, way more than I should. But it just gets me through the day, and honestly, like it's fun being a reporter who covers like a different um, different area to kind of try to. You know, I try to do autopsies on stories and try to figure out how they came about and, you know, who the source might be who said certain things. And, man, it's, it's fun and good and, and lively. And um, you guys give these teams a run for their money, which is good. Do you ever get kind of like uh, – do you ever do you ever want to do any sports reporting? Oh, man. Like there are times where I'm on Twitter where I'm just like, don't express your interest in being a fan of these teams because maybe one day you want to cover them. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Sports reporting seems like a lot of fun, but I don't know if I'd be any good at it. So I feel like, um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a different skill set, and, and I don't think I'm a good enough writer to do it. So I can't <laughs> but imagine, it's a dream. <laughs> I can't imagine that covering sports is any harder than covering uh, the tech companies. I, I think, 
I don't think you'd have a much higher fail rate at this than you would at, <laughs> at doing what you do now. Um, but the good news is, like we were talking, you know, at, at the top is that the New York stories don't, New York teams don't give you any lack of stories. Like they always, they always keep you interested. Like if it's the Jets, it's Geno Smith and then Tebow and then, uh, I don't know. Now Sam Darnold's going to be a great story. And if there's any team I have hope for, it's the Jets. You know, having a, the dream of a functional quarterback is is um, it's pretty amazing. So we'll see what happens. Do I, you guys, hey, before we jump, do you guys want to hear my Herman Edwards story? Yeah, of course. All right. So I must have been, I must have been maybe 15. This is like a fun media New York sports story. Maybe it'll be fun to end on. Or if you guys have more questions, happy to go through them. But I must have been 15, 16, and I had been volunteering on a radio show called Sports Talk on NASA Community College Radio. And I had been with my family. Um, we went to Florida, like most New York uh, families do on vacation to get away from the winter. And um, we're in the airport, and they decided to show up to the airport like hours early um, to go on standby to hope that we could get back in. And I was like, come on, wasting a nice day in the sun sitting in the airport. It's terrible. Then uh, my mother comes up to me and points out that uh, Herman Edwards is like standing on line to um, to get on the plane. And I had broken my uh, my leg like I don't know maybe a few like a month earlier playing basketball, so I was still on crutches. And so they they put us all on the flight on standby, and uh, they put me in the front row, sitting right next to Herman Edwards and his wife. <laughs> wow. So, I'm like, holy crap. So he looks at me. He goes, what happened to your ankle? And I was like, well, it's the last game of the season. We needed either the Dolphins or the Bills to lose. The Bills had won their game. And then the Dolphins scored a touchdown against the Falcons in the fourth quarter. I'm pretty sure it was over. And I kicked the wall and broke my leg. And he goes, really? I'm like, no. Um, That was a lie. Um, But we got to talking. And I told him, I was like, Herm, I was like, you know, I do this sports show on Nassau Community College Radio. Maybe you could come on one time. And he was like, sure. And he was still a coach of the Jets. And a couple of weeks later, he hops on our show and stays on for like a 30 minute segment, like talking. There's probably 10 people listening. So, you know, the New York sports sports uh, world is, is fascinating. This is like the type of stuff that got me interested uh, in journalism to begin with. So, man, I'm envious of you guys. It's a good spot to be in. And, and you know, what a market to cover this stuff in. That's pretty fun. That, I mean, that's that's pretty cool. And that was nice of him to do that for you. So nice of him. Like he was like these are like some of the stand up stories you just don't hear about um, the people. I don't know in in the sports business. I mean, I'm sure there's equal amount of assholes, but like that was like a, a, a wow moment for me. I do find it interesting that uh, no matter what, I mean, for the most part, but like it seems like no matter what beat you're on, if you're a reporter, you have kind of like that FOMO of covering something else. I don't, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just like mm-hmm. there's a lot of wonder lost amongst reporters or. Or, uh, or there's just not enough, you know, you do something long enough, you want to try and branch out and do something else. But it's interesting that you say you, you want to cover sports, because I'm sure there are a lot of reporters who would, sports reporters who would love to cover, you know, Facebook and Twitter and be, yeah. you know, at the position that you're in, too. Well, you see it, you see good stories. And as a reporter, it doesn't matter what, whether it's, you know, tech or sports or the White House, and you're like, damn, I wish I could have gotten that story, even though you're not in the, you know, you're not working in that world. So what are your guys' FOMO beats? I mean, uh, the table here. <laughs> uh, you know, I think right now it would be fun. Uh, like, I'm sure everyone would say the White House right now, just because of all of the crazy shit that's going on. Um, 
I don't know. I've always kind of I've always kind of wanted to be a war reporter. That always seems like a lot of fun. But I think when I raised that idea when I was uh, when I was out of college, my wife or my my wife to be was I was like, nah, nah, not gonna happen. Jeez, Vark! I didn't know you were so brave. I mean, I like and to tell more. myself I'm brave, but then on the other hand, like, you know, I cover sports for a living. How brave is that, you know? That's what I'm saying. That's why I'm surprised to hear you're secretly brave. I, I just, you know, <laughs> I, I've got I've got that, you know, like, I get, I get antsy if I do the same thing too often. I feel like that would be a fun job to, you know, just always be looking for something else. On the other hand, it's extremely dangerous, and the people who do that are, like, just, you know, braver than anyone else in this in this job. Did you ever have a, a conversation with the foreign correspondent about what it might be like? No, I, I mean, that's, for me, one of the people I always love to have on is, like, someone yeah. who's who's covered that, right? Like, because you're, it's not even the reporting aspect of that. Like, that's obviously hard, and, but, I mean, just living that life, it's got to be extremely difficult, especially if you have a family. I, I think we've read a lot of those stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Seems like a future guest, so you got to find someone, someone who was in Iraq or something. Jared, now that you were clowning me, what's your what's your FOMO sports? Uh, what's your FOMO beat? Oh God, it's probably it's nothing important. Nothing. I mean, I would, I mean movies. I'd love to write about movies. I do it in the newsletter. That's I'd what, love to do it more. Yeah, I, I, I think, think that'd be fun. I think I think uh, more realistically, I'd love to write about food one day, just because I feel like food is the intersection of like society in so many different ways. You know, you can really write <laughs> your about food coverage would be just about charcuterie. It'd be really pretentious. <laughs> I don't think I would like to see that. I feel like you're mocking me and that's mean. A little bit. It's okay. All of our listeners love you. I'm I'm sure when uh, I will read everything you write on the Disney beat. If that existed, I already would be on it. (laughs) I'm sure there's a Disney beat somewhere. Someone writing about all the Disney movies. Actually, there is. There's a Disney beat at the Wall Street Journal. (laughs) There you go. At my own paper. Yeah. You're laying the gauntlet down. Hey, whoever covers the damn Disney beat at the Wall Street Journal, quit right now before Jared takes your job. <laughs> Maybe one day. We'll see. <laughs> uh, Alex, I, I think we've run out of questions. Um, thanks so much for coming on, man. It was it was great. This is, uh, I think, a great conversation. I was really fascinated by it. Thank you, guys. This was great. I've been looking forward to it for a long time, so it's nice to you know be on with you guys, and I'll keep reading your stuff, and you know, maybe next time I get to ask you guys some questions about sports reporting because that's another fascinating world. Yeah, let's do it. I mean, we can do we'll another one after this. Yeah. I mean, hopefully it won't take as long as this one to, to arrange, but uh, <laughs> we'll get it done. Yeah. Uh, everybody, thanks for listening to the 30 cast. Um, Alex Kantrowitz, follow him on Twitter. We'll have all the information, you know, when the podcast goes up and obviously in the newsletter. You can find all his work at BuzzFeed. He does a great job covering tech. Thanks for listening. We'll see all you guys uh, next time in the next newsletter.